I knew I forgot something. I'm doing this because I left it at the end of the sermon last time, and you have to scroll through all the pages to get there. Okay, good to see you today. Okay, uh, two things to pray about today. Number one, this mic works. Okay, if you weren't here first service, we had all kind of problems, okay? Finally, I just grabbed it and threw it under. No, I didn't do that. But uh, I felt like doing that. But uh, we finally uh, we switched out mics, and hopefully it'll work. We'll probably have to get some new ones. We've been using these for years, and that's not a request. That's almost a necessity at this point. So anyway, uh, the other thing is, is just uh, God is, you know, working in all kind of strange ways. So uh, this morning, if you drove in, it was a family out here in the, in the parking lot kind of at the end. We didn't know about that, and uh, we've been trying to work with them and help them a little bit this morning. Appreciate all you who have, have helped. You never know. <laughs> so uh, we just pray for them, whatever their situation is uh, in all this, that uh, God will just get them where they need to go and uh, work through that as well. I don't know about you guys, but uh, this week's been kind of a crazy week. It's been kind of an interesting week at church. This is birthday week, okay? You know, it's birthday week for staff. Uh, last Sunday was Dan Baker's birthday. Thursday was Chris's birthday. And yesterday was my birthday. Now, Nate, I don't know when his birthday is, but uh, he didn't get in on all the festivities. But anyway, that's kind of all that deal going on. So I don't know about you guys, but uh, birthdays, how many of you birthdays is a big deal? It's a real big deal. I mean, raise your hand. It's all right, you know. Three of you will admit that. Okay, the rest of you don't care. Okay, well, just forget about that this morning. Okay. Uh, some of you grew up in families. The birthday's a big deal. It's not in my family, so it's a big deal. But yesterday, yeah, it was nice. Yesterday, the coolest thing, though, is always to get a call about 9.30 yesterday from my son talking to me about um, uh, wishing me a happy birthday. He's 27, and he actually started remembering that last year that I have birthdays. And... Uh, <laughs> And then my daughter called yesterday, she's a little bit older, and she has for our two grandkids, and she was wishing me a happy birthday, and, and she gets my two grandkids on the phone, uh, Cooper and Levi. Levi's four, Cooper's six. And um, <laughs> she asked him, how old do you think Grandpa is? <laughs> and I'm going like, wow, this is going to be fun. And so Levi, the youngest, said, Grandpa, he's about 11. <laughs> I guess to a four-year-old, 11 is old, Okay. And I wasn't quite ready for the next one. Now, Cooper kind of, I guess he's trying to be funny. He's, he's kind of six-year-old humor. And he says, Grandpa's dead. <laughs> and I said, well, Cooper, I'm talking to you on the phone. I'm obviously not dead, but you guys are close. I said, I'm somewhere between 11 and dead. <laughs> and so, uh, so anyway, that's the kind of the deal. So hopefully you've had a good week and you're, not, you're somewhere between 11 and dead. Okay. <clears throat> we are in a series. The last week of a series, we've been in this whole summer dealing with this whole thing of, of, of relationships and how God wants to help us in our relationships to grow, to have great relationships, not just like marginal relationships, but great ones. And really what we've been talking about is how God wants to produce in us some things, what we call the fruit of the Spirit, which will actually help in some ways to, to help us to have the kind of relationships we want to have. And so this is kind of the key verse we've been talking about in Galatians 5. It says, but when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, now stop there. It says when the Holy Spirit controls our lives. Not when we kind of just become Christians, not just when we say yes to Jesus Christ. That's the starting point, yes. But the goal in Christianity is becoming more and more like Christ. And how that happens is not that we grunt hard or read books or get better, even though that might be helpful. The thing is, is that it's we become spirit-controlled people in our lives. That's the key. When the Holy Spirit controls our lives, and this is a process it says this, he will produce this kind of fruit in us. Not once again, 
of our own power, but as we release ourselves from our own control and we let the Holy Spirit control us, it says what will happen is he will produce these kind of, this kind of fruit in us. And then this is what we've been talking about for the last nine weeks. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then a little bit further in the verse it says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their own sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. We've left our own passions and desires there, and we've let the Holy Spirit control our lives. And what the Holy Spirit wants to do, we've been talking about this for the last nine weeks, is he wants to produce in us perfect love, perfect joy, perfect peace, perfect patience, and all these different attributes. Now today we're in the very last one, self-control. Self-control. In Proverbs it says this, it says, Proverbs 25, it says, a man without self-control is as defenseless as a city with broken down walls. So self-control is important, right? Self-control in our life. Can self, lack of control, self-control causes problems? Yeah, it can in lots of areas. When I, when I don't have self-control in my life, I'm vulnerable to all kinds of problems. Anything out of control in your life can harm people and can harm relationships. For instance, can uncontrolled anger cause a problem in relationships? You better believe it. Can uncontrolled lust cause problems in relationships? Yes. Can uncontrolled spending cause problems in relationships? Did you know the number one problem, the number one reason for most divorces in America is this issue of spending and money? More people attribute their breakup and their divorces to one person or the both persons be out of control in spending and causing all the stresses and all the pressure of that as well. Um, uncontrolled drinking, uncontrolled ambition, where you're a workaholic and I don't have time for my family. All these things when we're out of control uh, can, uh, can cause problems in relationships. But today we're going to talk about the area that probably we all deal with in a real, we not, you may not deal with these other ones, or at least not, hopefully not terribly, but this, this one we want to talk about today is the most common area that is out of control in our lives. The greatest destroyer of relationships is an uncontrolled tongue. An uncontrolled tongue. You've heard me say this before, I'll say it again. Uh, the average America, American has approximately 30 conversations a day. I mean, talk, not just, hi, how are you doing, but real conversations. One-fifth of our life is spent talking. Um, there, we speak enough words, the average person speaks enough words in one year to fill 66 books, each with 800 pages. You talk a lot. All of us talk a lot. Now, not all equally, because the average man speaks between 18 and 20,000 words a day. This is data, and don't be mad with me, the next fact. The average woman speaks between 25 and 30,000 words a day, Okay? And so both husband and wife, both husband and wife, and they work outside the home, and they go out, they talk, and they've talked to her 20,000 words a day, you know, before they get home. When they get home, the husband's done, and the wife still has 10,000 words to speak. <laughs> and we don't understand why we have problems in relationships, because, you know, we just don't, you know, that's just kind of the deal. And so we got to work with that. We're a nation of talkers. We're a nation of talkers. You know that there's more talk radio and talk TV shows than ever before? I mean, you get out, there's talk, 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 just nothing other than just talking to each other. It's about opinions and about all these different things. We talk all the time. The odds are then, since we talk so much, all of us, men and women, that at some point, if we talk so much, 
the odds are that our mouth is going to get, get us in trouble somewhere along the way, right? If you think it's not, you better be careful. Because words are powerful. You know, I love one of my favorite passages of scriptures in James chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. And it says this. It says the tongue is a small thing. But what enormous damage it can do. A great force can be set on fire with one tiny spark. The tongue can turn our whole lives into a blazing flame of destruction and disaster. Man, is that a strong statement. Tongue is an amazing thing. It says the tongue is compared to fire. You know, fire is good when it's used in, in, in the right way. It can warm you. It can keep you, you know, especially in Illinois winters. It can warm you, uh, fire again. But if fire gets out of control, it can destroy things as well. A carelessly tossed match can destroy a forest. That's what it's kind of saying here. Matter of fact, uh, a few years ago in Australia in 1983, uh, one of the largest fires in history that destroyed so much uh, area in Australia, one guy, they found out, tossed a match out a window and it ended up burning 600 square miles of Australia. 600 square miles. That's a big place. It destroyed villages, cities, and it started, they found out after they traced it back to one, one guy throwing a match out a window. One careless thought, one careless word can have that kind of effect, the Bible's saying. So we've got to be careful about how we, how we, uh, how we use our, our words. See, uh, I began to wonder, how many people have destroyed their careers with their mouth? How many people have destroyed their family or their kids with their mouth? How many people have destroyed a friendship or a business deal with their mouth? The tongue is a powerful, powerful thing. And that's why as, as, as we read these things about the fruit of the Spirit, one of the things is self-control, particularly control of our tongues. And a matter of fact, in Proverbs 13, 3, it says this, self-control means controlling the tongue. So there's this, there's this bridge in Scripture between the two things. If you don't know how to manage your mouth, you don't know how to manage your life. So we want to talk this morning for a few minutes about how to manage our mouths. How to manage our mouth. I just want to give you four things. I could have given you a dozen, but just four things this morning. And there was no problem this morning finding tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of Scripture that deal with this area. Okay? We're just going to use a few of them and look at a few of them this morning. Number one, if you're going to manage your mouth, control your mouth, number one, you've got to think before you speak. You're going like, oh, boy, this is so profound this morning. Yeah, no, it's so simple and so direct. I'm not going to tell you anything you don't know, but I'm just going to remind you again of what Scripture says about this. Number one, think before you speak. Proverbs 16, 23. Intelligent people think before they speak. What they say is then more persuasive. The reality is, if we don't think first, and, uh, we, we will, if we don't think before we speak, sometimes we will say things that we really don't want to say. You ever done that? You ever said, I'd like to stuff it back in when I just came out? Some of you are shaking your heads yes, and some of you are just kind of sitting there going, you know, anyway. Proverbs 18.20 says this, you will have to live with the consequences of everything you say. You will have to live with the consequences of everything you say. I love what one person said one time, a closed mouth gathers no foot, you know? And uh, that's true. Um... We're always laughing at staff because three of us talk a lot and one of us, one of us doesn't. Dan, Dan Baker hardly ever has any issue with making, saying things he shouldn't say because he takes so long to say it. <laughs> we love Dan. 
And, and the thing is, the rest of us going like, well, I didn't really mean, no, we, no. And we, we talk, 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 talk. And Dan is, when he says something, we listen. Because Dan has carefully thought about everything he says. We probably could learn from Dan. The reality is the Bible says you will have to live with the consequences of everything you say. See, what you say can make you happy or sad. It can make you healthy or unhealthy. It can make you wise or foolish. It can build people up. It can tear people down. It can get you hired. It can get you fired. You've got to learn to think before you speak. A few years ago, I came across this acrostic that talks about that, this word think, talking about how, what do you think about before you speak? And they used the acrostic, the letters T-H-I-N-K, to, to kind of help us to remember that. Number one, he says, the T stands for truthful. When we, before we speak, we have to ask the question, is what I'm about to say truthful? I mean, that should be obvious, right? But that's a good starting place. Number two, the H stands for helpful. Is it helpful? Is what I'm about to say helpful to people? The I stands for inspirational. Is it inspirational? Does it inspire people? Not everything we say inspires people, but sometimes it does. The N stands for necessary. Is it necessary that I say this? Once again, we say a lot of words that aren't necessary. And K stands for kind. Is it kind? Before you speak, think. Proverbs 20, 25 said, It is a trap for a man to dedicate something, dedicate something rashly and only later to consider his vows. So you need to choose your commitments carefully. Don't make promises you don't intend to keep. Uh, have you ever said yes to a salesman and then later regretted it? Yep. Yeah, I'm going like, wow, why did I do that? What was I thinking? We do that all the time. Have you made, ever made a promise to your kids that, you would, wouldn't, uh, that they wouldn't let you forget? Yeah. And you're going like, really? Have you ever accepted an invitation to something and then you wished you hadn't been there? You're going like, why in the world did I say I would go to this thing? <laughs> All of us have probably done stuff like that, you know? Because sometimes we just want to please everybody, we want to make them happy, and so we don't really think about what we say. Think before you speak, that's number one. Number two, not only think before you speak, number two, always speak the truth. Always speak the truth. If I was to do a survey here this morning and ask this question, how many of you believe honesty is the best policy? I would believe that most everybody would raise their hands. We believe that honesty is the best policy. But when it comes to a specific situation, we often feel it is necessary to shade the truth just a little bit. Because while honesty is the best policy sounds good in theory, not all, oftentimes we begin in the real world, we, we kind of hide the truth. But you know what the Bible says about that? In Proverbs 10, 10, it says, someone who, hold, who holds back the truth causes trouble. Someone who holds back the truth causes trouble. Why do we hold back the truth in a relationship? I'll tell you why we hold back the truth, because sometimes we don't want, we want to avoid conflict, because speaking the truth sometimes can lead to conflict. I don't want to shake up the boat, make waves, so we're cowards in a sense when we hold back the truth. Now, when you don't have honesty in a relationship, we, we do all kinds of things. We hide from, hide from things, we hurl things, we hide behind our excuses, it's, you know, it's all your fault, or we hurl out and lob these bombs out, it's all your fault, you always, you never, and the thing is, Maybe some of you are saying, well, I tried this true thing, and it just doesn't work. But once again, what Scripture says is this. Long term, those who hold back the truth causes trouble. 
Dishonesty destroys relationship. Trust is the whole thing that a relationship's based upon, and we're not honest in a relationship. And then later on, the truth comes out. Does it help or hurt your relationship? You know the answer to that. I don't have to tell you. Another, another um, verse that I love here, it says this, an honest answer is the sign of a true friendship. An honest answer, Proverbs 24, 26, an honest answer is the sign of a true friendship. If I'm not honest with you, we know what it's saying here in Scripture, it means one thing, I don't love you. I really don't love you. Because it says a person who's in truly a friend will speak the truth and we'll speak the truth, and we'll talk about the next one in a moment. We'll speak the truth in such a way that it'll encourage the other person. It may be painful at first, because sometimes the truth does hurt. But as it says, as it says in Proverbs 28, 23, it says, In the end, people appreciate frankness more than flattery. In the end. Maybe not up front, but in the end. And if you don't deal with it now, the truth, speak the truth now, that area that you're not being honest about in your relationship, you're going to deal with it someday. And when someday gets there, it's probably going to be worse than dealing with it now. People have fears all the time, though. He said, if I told my husband how I really resent how much time he spends at work and how it hurts our marriage, he'd blow up. Well, maybe he will. But if you continue not to speak the truth about that and you continue to resent your husband because of that, guess what? That's going to be worse down the road than it is right now. Or some husbands will say, if I told my wife how frustrated I am with our love life, she'd accuse me of having a one-track mind. <laughs> and, and that may be true. I'm not talking about having a one-track mind. I'm just talking about speaking the truth. But the, out, the, the outcome of not speaking the truth is resentment, which leads to more problems and more problems and more problems down the road. Our, our kids, you know, kids so often will say, you know, become the teenage years and they're trying to figure out what to do with their lives and their parents have some big plans for them. And, 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 and I've so many times seen kids resent their parents because they really don't want to go down that track. And they'll say things, well, if I really told my parents what I wanted to do with my life and where I wanted to go to school, they would get upset and might kick me out of the house. If you don't want to resent your parents the rest of your life, you better speak the truth. You've got to risk honesty if you care about the relationship. Scott Peck, uh, a very famous Christian, uh, he's a psychologist, he's a Christian, uh, he's dead now, but many years ago he wrote a whole bunch of books. Uh, um, and, and one of the books he wrote uh, that I'd read was called The Different Drum. And in The Different Drum, he talks about this whole thing of intimacy and truth. And he says the problem is that truth comes out of conflict. Uh, that the intimacy comes out of conflict. And he's saying that you can't have intimacy without conflict in a marriage. He said, basically, when you deal with it, and I'm not talking about major conflict, I'm talking about being honest with one another and speaking the truth to one another in a way that you want to get through this and work your way through it. And he says the only way that we can have real true intimacy in a relationship, closeness in a relationship, is, is, to, is to not have what he calls superficial pseudo-community. Pseudo-community is... It's, it's, it's what we practice on Sunday mornings at church. Really? Yeah, we do. Out in the hallway, you see somebody, and they'll say, how you doing? What do you say? Regardless of how you're doing. Regardless of how you do. How? What do you say? Fine, great. That's when you really lie, you know. Maybe it is great. That's fine. 
But so often things aren't that way because we have this kind of pseudo community. We come in, now in your small group, you need to have real community where things are not fine. You can speak the truth. We kind of practice pseudo community. Now, the thing is, we can do that in a big group like this, but in a, in, a, in a setting with somebody that we have a relationship with, like a spouse or a child or the closest friends, we need to have real community. And in real community, what we have to do is we have to get from superficiality to intimacy. And we have the only way to do that, uh, Scott Peck said, uh, says, is go through what he calls the tunnel of conflict. We have to have face-to-face discussions of the issues that are keeping you from having closeness and intimacy and really expressing that. And it's no fun because every bone in our body says, I think I'll just go back to the other way because superficiality is not so bad, it's not so painful. But we all know that if we don't deal with it now, it's just going to get worse later. And so that's what he's talking about here. We need to speak the truth. And then the next one, number three. If you want to you uh, you know, have control of your tongue, you need to speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. Proverbs 12, 18 says this, thoughtless words can wound as deeply as any sword, but wisely spoken words can heal. Every time we speak, and that's one while ago when I said that little acrostic thing, it's not just what you say, it's how you say it. What's the end game in what you say? To hurt the other person or to heal the other person? To hurt the relationship or to heal the relationship? And you know what I'm talking about here, you know, speaking the truth in love. It, it, it irritates me sometimes when people say, will say things like, well, I'm just being truthful. Yeah. And you're also being hurtful. Because that same person, somebody else can say the exact same words to me, but when I know that their heart is in it to help heal the, the way they say them and, they're, and they're out, the outcome of the words is totally different. Uh, Proverbs 12, 12 18 um, um, in, in another translation says it this way some people like to make cutting remarks but the words of the wise soothe and heal I, I don't know who said this but I wrote it down a long time ago this little quote it says I'm never persuasive when I'm abrasive I'm never persuasive when I'm abrasive yeah speak the truth think before you speak but speak the truth always in love and you're going like well that you know I'm thinking right now politics you know Donald Trump See abrasive? Better believe it. I'm not speaking politically here, by the way, okay? But the reality is, yeah, he's persuasive right now. I don't know long term if that's going to be persuasive or not, but the reality is that might work in politics, but it doesn't work in one-on-one relationships. You got to be careful about how you say it. You got to speak the truth, but do it in love. Proverbs 15.4 says this, gentle words cause life and health. Words can cause life and your words can cause can can heal things. There's a power in gentle words. So I want to ask you, ask you this today. Who could you encourage today? Because gentle words encourage one another. Even when it's painful to hear, it encourages a person. When someone speaks the truth in love. Proverbs 12, 25 says, a word of encouragement does wonders. It does, not just a little bit, but it does wonders. So here's your project for this week. <laughs> You're going like, application to the sermon? That's so bizarre. Uh, yeah, no, that's what the whole deal is. L- let me give you a project for this week, okay? If, if, if something comes directly out of this, encourage every person. Here's your goal. Encourage every person that you meet this week. But Pastor Bill, you don't know who I'm going to be encouraged, talking to this week. 
You don't know my neighbor or the, my boss or the guy I work with in the next cubicle or the girl that's, you know, that's, you know, just go through the whole list. We'll talk about how to do that in a minute, okay? But your goal, your goal this week, according to God's word, is to encourage every person that you meet. You know, any fool can be negative. They never build statues to critics, right? They build statues to people who are criticized by critics all of their lives. It takes character to be positive in a negative world. Now, if that's our goal, and God wants us to speak the truth, and he wants us to think before we speak and speak the truth in love, how do we do that? Do we just, you know, say, I'm going to speak the truth in love? You know, that's the kind of great attitude we'd have, you know? No, that's not the way you do it. Going back to where we started with all this in the very beginning of the series, it says that when the Holy Spirit controls your life, he will produce in your life these things. So, number four. If you want to control your tongue, ask Christ for help every day. Ask Christ for help every day. I love this verse in Psalm 141.3. Psalm 141.3, you need to put this under your refrigerator, okay? This is a refrigerator verse. Okay? You know what a refrigerator verse is? It's one you want to hear a lot. Or put it on your bathroom mirror or somewhere that you'll see it and be reminded of this all the time. Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Isn't that a great verse? I like what it says in the, in, in the Living Bible. The Living Bible is not the greatest translation, but sometimes it just speaks truth. Help me, Lord, to keep my mouth shut. That's kind of what it says. So God muzzle my mouth. Help me to watch and manage my mouth, my words. Because the reality is, is, as hard as we try, you and I cannot manage to control our, our mouths all the time in our own power. You cannot manage your mouth by yourself. Why? Because your mouth isn't the real problem. It's not the real problem. It's your, it's your heart. It's your heart. The mouth simply reveals what's in my heart. It's a displayer of my character. How and what I say shows what I'm really like inside. And if you don't believe me, believe what Jesus said, okay? In Matthew 15, 18, he says, what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. Now, we don't like to hear that, right? Because so often we like to say, you know, things like, well, you know, I didn't really mean to say that. Jesus is saying, yeah, you did. Because what comes out of the mouth is actually an overflow of your heart. It's the real you. And the only way we can control that heart, we need to have a heart transplant in a sense, which only God can do. Because he says words reveal our character and they display the condition of our heart. You know, I don't know, I never have understood this. I have to ask a couple doctors in our church about this. But every time you go to the doctor, they ask you to go in. One of the first things they do is they get you to open your mouth and look at your tongue. And they'll look in there, and I guess they see a bunch of stuff. But it, they look inside your mouth to see what's going on inside. You ever thought about that? And I go like, that's pretty weird. But some way they can, they can gauge, begin to gauge what's going on inside because of what you look like inside your mouth. In the same way, you know, the thing is, what Jesus is saying here, he says, the things that come out of that mouth really are a gauge of what's inside. 
You know, whatever is, what, you know, it's like a tree. Whatever a tree shows up, whatever grows on a tree, if you want to know what a tree is, how do you figure it out? It's a fruit tree. This is really deep, okay? How do you know what's, what kind of tree it is if it's a fruit tree? How do you know what kind of tree, uh, determine what it is? How do you do? What kind of fruit it Thanks, you. I knew you could do it. What kind of fruit it produces, right? And I mean, that's the deal. What kind of fruit it produces? See, I told you I'm not very deep. I think on a fifth grade level. And the thing is, you know, if I want to know if it's a tree, if it's an apple tree, it's got apples on it, right? If it's a, it's a pear tree, it's got pears, whatever. I have never seen, I've never said, hey, that must be, that must be an apple tree, but it's really a pear tree, but I don't understand. You know, trees produce whatever fruit, the fruit that comes out is whatever it is. Whatever's on the inside is eventually going to manifest itself on the outside. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And sometimes, eventually, our mouth betrays what we're really like. See, someone with an angry mouth, if they're always angry and speaking angry words, guess what their heart's like? They have a harsh heart. Someone who's always negative is displaying a fearful heart. Someone who always talks, 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 talks all the time, one of the things that's a sign of an unsettled heart. Somebody that has, that's always judgmental. Psychological component of that is they probably have a, a guilty heart. Somebody that has a foul mouth has an impure heart. Somebody that's critical. Or the other end, boasting all the time, has an insecure heart. They're an insecure person. Critical or boasting. I love what it says in Proverbs 27.2. I was just reading through this the other day. It says this, let another praise you. It's not on the screen. Let another praise you and not your own mouth. If you have to praise yourself and always build yourself up, it means you're insecure. Let other people praise you. You don't have to do it yourself. Your work should speak for itself. On the other hand, somebody with an encouraging mouth, they probably have a happy heart. Or if they have a gentle mouth, they have love in their heart. Or somebody with a controlled mouth, they have a peaceful heart. So what's the remedy? If we don't have this kind of a heart, well, the thing is, the remedy is simple, a new heart. A new heart. Fortunately, God specializes in giving us new hearts. That's what this whole series has been about. God wants to change us from the inside out. He wants, to, he wants his spirit to live in us when we come to Christ. He wants his spirit to begin to control us from the inside out, give us a new heart, a new mind. And, it, and as he does that, what happens is it changes us from the inside out. Ezekiel 18 says this. Uh, it says, rid yourself of all the offensive, offenses you've committed. Get a new heart and a new spirit. And that's what happens when you come to Christ. God wants us to produce in us some things that we can't do ourselves. That's why we have to ask Christ every day to help us. See, the world's idea of self-control is this. Self in control. I call the shots. I'm my own boss. I do my own thing. I'm Mr. Big. I do what I want to do. That's just, and that is a guarantee for failure. Real self-control, as God says it in his word, is not self-in-control, but self-under-control of God. 
Under the control of God, you will find the self-control of your mouth and every other area that you don't think possible. James 1.26, we'll wrap this up with this, says this. Anyone who says he's a Christian but doesn't control his sharp tongue is just fooling himself and his religion isn't worth much. The Bible is straightforward. It's just straightforward. See, and I have to, this is confession time. What bothers me about me so often in life is how is it possible that I can so often say the most hurtful things to the people that I'm closest to? My wife, my kids. When I'm tired, when I'm grumpy, when I'm fatigued, when I'm not feeling well, I can say the nastiest things. You're going like, Pastor Bill, you could. Yeah, yeah, Pastor Bill, okay, I just asked Pastor Bill's wife. And I'm going, if I'm a follower of Christ, it's, that's when the Spirit is not, it's not I'm not leave, living in the Spirit, under the control of the Spirit. It is a, it's a process. It's a process. I love this quote. It's, uh, Sid, Baxter, uh, Sid Lowe Baxter said this, The proof that you have God's Spirit in your life is not that you speak in an unknown tongue, but that you know how to control the tongue you do know about. That's a sign, a sign of you living under Christ's control. So, the only way to control your tongue is by letting Jesus Christ control your heart in greater and greater and greater degrees on a daily basis. And that's how you start over. No matter where you are right now, it's not about the past, it's about the present and the future. And you can begin from this point in this time making a commitment to God. If you never said to Jesus Christ, I want, to, want you to, I want to follow you as my Lord and Savior, you can begin that process today just simply by asking him into your heart. But my, my guess is that most of you have already done that here. But you're not done yet, like I'm not done yet. So our commitment today, if you've already followed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, is to say to God, I want your Holy Spirit to control my life more and more and more each day. And how I will know that is happening is that he will produce in me more and more perfect love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I can see visibly God's control in me when I look at these things and how they work in my life. Are you growing in these areas? Not because you're trying harder, but because you're letting Christ work in you more through his spirit. My prayer for this whole series is that we've been able to look at these and, and, and understand what these things mean. And then we can allow God's spirit and realize that, you know, this has not been like, hey, this is how to be a better person who loves more. It is in a sense, but it's not because of how hard you try. But it's how hard, how much you give into Christ's spirit and let him do it through you. The Christian life is one of continual letting go to who we are so that Christ and God through his spirit can do all these things in us. Let's pray.